Good morning, my name is Linda and today's reading is going to be one of the most beautiful chapters of Revelation 21, part of chapter 21 and part of chapter 22. So we start with verse 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepares a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And um, we continue on um, verse 9 to 11. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and his brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystals. Um, continue on to verse 22 and 23. I did not see a temple in the city, because of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb at his temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, but for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And the last verses is on Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruits every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in his city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the Lamb or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. They, and they will reign forever and ever. And each month we do the memory verse at St. Stephen. So for the month of September, this is the new verse. So it's from the book of Ezra, um, chapter 8, verse 36. So we'll say the, uh, the book together, the uh, chapter and the verse together. So um, Ezra, chapter 8, verse 22. The gracious hand of God, God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. Ezra chapter 8 verse 22. Good morning. I'd love you to keep your Bibles open at Revelation 21 and 22, where we're going to uh, be thinking about the new heaven and the new earth. Can I just say I've uh, greatly enjoyed being with you this weekend. Thank you so much for the privilege of coming along to your camp. Uh, 
Thanks for many wonderful conversations. Thoroughly enjoyed meeting and talking with some of you. Uh, thought that children's talk this morning was absolutely magnificent. It was such a great summary of the uh, of the Bible story. Uh, Corey, I thought your words just before were so powerful and poignant. Thank you so much for that. Uh, last night was an experience. Um, made me very thankful for my own church. Um, <laughs> I was contemplating overnight, perhaps changing message this morning. I thought maybe let's leave the new heaven and the new earth. And um, I was thinking of pulling out the uh, the guy girl talk, uh, but I'll spare you that one. We will go. We will go to heaven. I think that'll be the best place for us to go now. So let's pray before we open up this passage. Thank you so much for a weekend like this, Father. It is a joy and a blessing to be together. It's good to have fellowship. It's good to have fun. It's good to laugh. It's good to cry. It's good to sing. And it's great to be under your word. And we pray now that from your word you would excite us and thrill us and move us as we think about eternity and as you warm our hearts to the day when Jesus comes again. So please speak into our hearts by the power of your word and spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Have you uh, ever read movie reviews that contain spoilers? So frustrating. If you want to see a movie, you read a review and it tells you like how it's all going to work out. That ruins it all. Sometimes I've uh, recorded a footy match and uh, I want to watch it later. I haven't been able to see it at the time. And if I've recorded it, then I do not want to hear the score. I'm trying not to watch any news, not have any conversations, not hear the outcome, because if you know the final score before you've watched it, it kind of ruins it. Uh, As a boy, I used to desperately want to know what I was going to get for Christmas. In our family tradition, there was a Christmas tree. Presents were under the tree, and they were so tantalizing. And you always wanted to know what you were getting. What was it under the tree? Well, one year, by devious means, I found out. And that Christmas was the most disappointing Christmas I ever had. You see, we seem to have this love-hate relationship with knowing the end. We desperately want to know what happens. And yet sometimes knowing it ruins it. Well, I can tell you, God has not spoilt the ending. God has not given us spoilers when it comes to eternity. But he gives us teasers. Teasers, not spoilers. He he really doesn't tell us that much. There's so much we don't know about eternity. And yet he tells us enough to know that it will be very, very good. The end of the Bible story, the last two chapters of the Bible, give us a glimpse of the future. It's like the door of eternity is just ajar. You know how when you walk past a um, a doorway and it's open just a crack, you kind of peer in. Like if I'm in a hospital, I know there are doctors and 
whatnot here who know what happens behind those doors. But if I'm in a hospital going down a corridor and there's a door that says strictly no admittance, I'm like, so what's behind there? And then it opens. And just for a moment, you get a glimpse of like bodies, blood. Like, what's down there? Well, here in Revelation 21 22, the door is open just a crack, and we have a peek at eternity. So, what do we see? Uh, as a boy, it sounded to me like eternity was basically going to be an eternal church service. And to be honest, that didn't excite me. Uh, don't get me wrong, I didn't mind going to church. I still don't mind going to church. Love it, actually. But the idea of an eternal church service? Uh, it also sounded like we would be floating around on clouds, wearing white robes and strumming harps forever. Which, to be honest, doesn't sound very cool either. And if that is our picture of eternity, it's, it's not very surprising that most Aussie blokes don't even want to be there. Like, why would Aussie blokes want to spend eternity floating on a cloud and strumming a harp and wearing a golden crown on their head? Well, thankfully, that is not what we see when we get this glimpse through the door. What we do see is that many of the Bible's great themes of worship now come together. Themes of the previous 65 books of the Bible come together. Genesis, we saw, kick-started the theme of worship. And now at the other end of the book, these stories come together and we see worship now restored, worship renewed, worship revitalized in the most amazing way. So we're going to look through the crack in the door. What do we see? First of all, we see an incredible new world. We see an incredible new world. Verse 1 of chapter 21 says, Then I saw, this is John in his revelation, his, his heavenly tour, if you like. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. When he says he sees a new heaven and a new earth, he's saying he sees a new cosmos, a new world, a new universe. There are two Greek words for the, for the word new. Neos is the Greek word which tends to mean brand new, completely new, new in origin. Never, never seen before. Kainos is a Greek word that means new in quality, new in nature, renewed. When it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, it's that second word. If you are in Christ, you become a renewed person, a renovated, reborn person, you're not a completely different person. It's not as though every time someone is saved, they kind of, whoop, that old person just disappeared, and now there's a brand new person in their place. That'd be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? And it would make quite a statement if uh, people just disappeared when they were saved and a new person emerged. But that is not what happens. Rather, it's still us, but now there's this renewal, inward renewal, that takes place. And that is the word that's now used for the new creation 
new creation. Not just we, as we're saved, become new creations, but now the whole universe, this whole world, will be renewed. This is really speaking of God's extreme makeover of the universe and of our world. Over a period of about 10 years, we renovated our home. Um, basically, we bought an, an older house, and we kind of did a room a year. And uh, it took us about 10 years to get the place done. And some of those rooms were just radically transformed. We used to have this um, room, the called family room, and it used to just be a, it was a hovel, really. It was, it was quite dark and dingy. It had this long, filthy shag pile carpet and had bricks on the walls. And, and it was the kids' zone. Like, we'd, we'd put the kids down there. And we, Wendy and I, we never really went there. It was like, ugh. But not go to the family room. And then we renovated the family room. And we, we stripped it back and painted it and carved it and put in a wood burner and we put a deck on the back door and sliding doors. And, and it's now, it's, it's a light, bright, pleasant, warm place. It's our, our favourite place to go. I can pretty much guarantee that tonight I'll be in the family room. And there'll be no kids there. Uh, completely, completely changed. And that is what God is going to do with this entire world. Our world will be be completely renewed and renovated. The new heaven and new earth will be as real, as tangible, as physical as this world. We're not going to be floating around on clouds in some ethereal realm. We are destined for the new earth. And it's a real earth. It's this earth renewed. But while it will be earth, it will be heaven on earth. That's what it says in verse 4. The old order of things has passed away, but now, verse 3, God himself will be with us. God will be, if you like, on earth. God will be amongst us. So there will be no death. No mourning, no crying, no pain, no sadness, all sickness gone, all disappointment gone, all death gone. Never again will a young man go off to war and not return. Never again will a little kid go to school and get bullied. Never again will a student go to an exam room and fail. Hallelujah, so will the students. Never again will someone go off to work and get laid off. Never again will a lover go to an airport and with tears say goodbye. Never again will parents grieve over their wayward child. Never again will they grieve over a stillborn. Never again will a wife's heart be gutted as she finds out about her husband's unfaithfulness. Never again will a woman post me too. Never again 
will believers in Jesus Christ be persecuted for their faith? Never again. How good will that be? There's so much sadness in this world, isn't there? There's so much brokenness. There's so much pain. I don't know about you, don't, don't you sometimes think, I don't know if I can cope with any more. How long does it have to be so hard? Well, one day, you won't have to take any more. One day, no more death, no more cry, pain, no more crying, no more sadness. How, how come? How, how could it be that good? Because God is now fully present with his people. That's what it says in verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This new earth will be his dwelling place as well as our dwelling place. And we'll live there saturated with a sense of his awesome, holy, beautiful, loving presence. We'll soak in his love. We'll soak in his grace and his goodness and his justice and his kindness. And notice, it's, it's he who will wipe every tear from our eyes. His presence will make it perfect. So that's the first thing John sees. An incredible new world. The second thing he sees in this vision is an amazing new city. An amazing new city. Again in verse 1 of chapter 21, uh, John sees coming down to the new heaven and the new earth, verse 2, the holy city. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And then it says, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So two images. He sees a city descending, a city coming to this new earth, the new Jerusalem. And he, and he sees the city as being like a bride. Two different images that are constantly used through Scripture for God's people. And these two images are again fused a little further through the chapter in verse 9. Um, the, the heavenly tour guide says to uh, John, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city. So you've got a, a fusing of these two images of God's people, and both are that. Both are pictures. What we're now looking at as we look at this amazing new city is a description of the eternal people of God on that new earth that he has created. What will the church be like in all eternity? What will God's people be like? What will we be like? Well, first of all, he says, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her wedding day. Now, I, I've had the privilege of taking lots of weddings over the years. And one of the lovely things about taking weddings is often you are standing up the front with the groom as the bride comes in. So you see, this, you see the bride coming up, up the aisle. 
And, and one thing I've noticed as brides come up the aisle, they always look good. They always scrub up well. It doesn't matter what they've looked like a few days before. <laughs> On their wedding day, they're magnificent. And that's the picture that we are now given of the people of God. Perfected. Radiant. Beautiful. Glorified. The church then will be the beautiful bride of Christ. Perfectly united. Perfectly holy. Perfectly committed. Perfectly joyful. No abuse scandals. No disappointing leaders. No one falling away. No dud sermons. Hallelujah. One day, you will belong to a perfect church. Now I know, I know here in Surrey Hills, you pretty much belong to a perfect church already. But the rest of Christendom is really looking forward to this day when we also will belong to a perfect church. Now this, this beautiful bride is also described like an amazing city. And that description is from verse 9 to verse 27. We just read a few of the verses there. And there are several things to note now about this picture of the people of God as the city of God, the, the, the new Jerusalem. First of all, notice it is a radiant city. Verse 11, it shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. It's, it's beautiful. It's a place of rich treasures and abundance. There are streets of gold. No slums. No dodgy neighborhoods. No scary laneways. The entire city will reflect the beauty and the glory of God. Secondly, it's therefore a place of absolute security. In verse 12, it describes the walls and the gates. They're massive. They're robust. It's a place of absolute security. There'll be no need for security systems there. No need for insurance of your precious possessions. Everything will be safe forever. No attack, no danger, no trouble, no thieves, no worries. Thirdly, it's an enormous city. We're told in verses 15 to 17 the dimensions of the city. We're told an angel took his measuring rod and he measures it out and it's as wide uh, as it is long. And we're told, it's, verse 16, it's 12,000 stadia in length. Now that is about 2,000 kilometers. We're we talking here a massive city. Uh, this is like a city that stretches from Adelaide to Perth in one direction and Adelaide to Darwin in the other direction. It's, it's a picture of a vast megacity. Symbolic of the vast number of people who will live there. For God is gathering people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. God's work in human history is not small. 
Sometimes we feel like we're part of a pathetically small little movement. We're part of something massive. God is saving millions and millions and millions of people. And this is symbolic now of them gathered into an enormous eternal city. But not only is it 2,000 kilometers wide and 2,000 kilometers long, we're also told that it was the same height. It's 2,000 kilometers high. Now, what on earth does that mean? It, it could mean don't get a penthouse in one of the high-rise apartments there. Like, imagine uh, going, you know, 2,000 kilometers up to your floor. I don't think that's actually the intention of the imagery. Revelation is full of picture language, full of imagery. We've got to think pictures. And the picture here is that this city is a perfect cube. Now, do you remember where else was a perfect cube? The most holy place in the tabernacle. It was 4.5 metres by 4.5 metres by 4.5 metres. It was a little tiny model of the ultimate eternal city of God. The picture is one of the entire city being the inner sanctuary, the most holy place. And that's why it says in verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The whole city is the temple of the living God. This whole city is the dwelling place of God. We saw earlier that through Jesus, we now have direct access. The temple curtain was torn and we're given access into the very throne room of God through Jesus Christ. But we also know, friends, don't we, that though we can draw near to him now, it's often hard. We, we want to know God, we can know God, but, but we struggle to know God, don't we? We want to please him but we fail. We want a greater sense of his presence, and we have some sense of his presence, but we long for, for so much more than we have. We want hearts fully set on him. But so often our hearts are not fully set on him, even when we've known the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this is saying is one day, That will never be our experience. One day our hearts will be fully set on him. One day his presence will surround us continually. One day his praise will readily and always come to our lips. One day our hearts will burst with his glory and his majesty always at all times. One day we will always feel the absolute reality of the presence of God. This is not describing an eternal church service, but an entire world where we readily, easily, and fully praise and glorify God. How good will that be? So John has now seen an incredible new world and an amazing new city, and thirdly, 
he sees a beautiful new garden. At the beginning of chapter 22, we have the description of a garden. You'll remember that the whole Bible story really began in a garden, the Garden of Eden. It was paradise. But paradise was lost and forfeited because of sin. And that, we saw, set us on an endless chase. Our hearts still yearn for it. Our hearts are made for God and they're restless until they find what God had originally given us. Our hearts chase for intimacy and beauty and peace and joy and love. We chase it in a thousand places. We create our plastic Edens. And sometimes we get small, fleeting tastes of what our hearts really yearn for. Yes, this is it. <laughs> and then the next morning it's gone and something breaks our heart. But on the new earth, paradise will be fully regained. Genesis, uh, Revelation 22 uses the imagery of Genesis chapter 2 to describe now the new earth. You remember that Eden had a mighty river that broke into four rivers and uh, gave life to the whole area. And now look at Revelation 22 verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the street of the city. Here's a river now flowing from the throne of God. A river giving life to everything. Life to all God's people. You remember that in the Garden of Eden there was the tree of life. And Adam and Eve, after they sinned, were banned from eating of the tree of life. But now the tree of life is back. It says in verse 2, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, now the people of God can eat from the tree of life as much as they want. They, they can eat and live forever. In Eden, a curse was pronounced because of sin. But we're told in verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. That means the harsh consequences of sin will finally be removed. That means no more aches and pains in our bodies. Good. It means no more earthquakes, tsunamis, bushfires, and droughts. It means no more sin in us. No more struggling with your sin. No more temptation. Oh man, that will be so good, won't it? not to struggle with sin, not to struggle with temptation. No more imperfections. And once again, for the third time now, the climax of the picture is that God will be there. Look at the rest of verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. 
Just as Adam and Eve had walked with God in the cool of the day in that garden and had intimate fellowship and relationship with the eternal God, so we forever will have intimate relationship with the eternal God. The highlight of Jesus coming back again and of us going to the new earth is not actually seeing other people. Though that will be fantastic. I um, I look forward to seeing my daddy. Corey looks forward to seeing Martin, and I, I wanted to see Martin too. And you, um, I heard him preach a number of times. It'll be great to see him again. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the Bible characters, and I really want to do coffee with Paul. So much to ask him. But the best, the best by far, will be seeing God and seeing Jesus who died for you. Because you see, now we walk by faith. And it's hard, isn't it? It's actually really hard living a religion where you're believing in someone you've never seen. Then, we'll no longer walk by faith. We'll walk by sight. We'll see Jesus and his glory and his majesty. And we'll bask in his love. And on that first earth, Adam and Eve served the Lord in the garden, remember? They, they had like priestly service as they gardened, named animals and worked in God's world. And we're told the same thing again here. Uh, it says, uh, which verse was it in? Uh, verse 4, end of verse 3, sorry. And his servants will serve him. That, that's what we'll do in the new earth. We'll serve the Lord. Uh, on that new earth, we'll do Adam and Eve kind of stuff. I don't know exactly what it will be, but we'll work and enjoy and explore and create. We'll be doing stuff in perfection and beauty and satisfaction. And so in the world to come, we're told that we will reign with God over his world. We'll worship God not only by singing, but by serving him. We won't be floating around on clouds forever, strumming harps and polishing our crowns. We'll be living in a world as real as this one, enjoying it massively to the glory and praise of God. What, what an end to the Bible story. A new world, a new city, a new garden, a place where for all eternity we will enjoy God and enjoy his world. But now, remember, we are only looking through a crack in the door. And there is so much we don't know. Don't ask me about anything else. The answer is, I don't know. Okay? 
I mean, how, how literally do we take all this? It's picture language, isn't it? How literal is it? I don't know. Uh, where will we live? I don't know. How old will we be? Like, you know, if, if a baby dies, is it like locked in baby for eternity? I don't know. If, if I die, does that lock in 55 forever? Uh, I don't know. I hope not. What kind of work will we do? What jobs will still be needed on the new earth? Uh, you, you doctors, sorry. <laughs> no sickness, no disease, no death. Uh, unemployed. Um, probably preachers too, like everyone's converted, everyone's saved, everyone knows God. I don't know. I don't know what jobs we'll do. I know that we'll enjoy the new verse. If there's no death, if there's no death, does that mean we're back to vegetarianism? But I thought it was meant to be perfect. You see why I said we're given teasers, not spoilers. We're just told enough to know it will be very, very good. And this eternal life of living in God's presence and serving God and enjoying Him and enjoying His world, that is what we were made for. The very purpose of our hearts, hardwired for worship, will then be fulfilled. The entire purpose of our life is to live to the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. And there and then, we will do that. As John Newton said, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Randy Alcorn in his book Heaven says this, To be in resurrected bodies, on a resurrected earth, in resurrected friendships, enjoying a resurrected culture with the resurrected Jesus, now that will be the ultimate party. And then he says, the first day on the new earth, that will be one big step for mankind, one giant leap for God's glory. What a day that will be. And friends, I want you to know it is worth hanging in there when we find worship hard now. Because then it will. It's worth the cost of following Jesus when the final reward is so great. It's worth resisting attractive alternatives when we know that eternal worship will be so wonderful. It's worth foregoing pleasure now in order to lay hold of eternal 
It's worth investing in the kingdom now and parting with some of your hard-earned cash now when you will have eternal riches that far outweigh anything you give to the work of the gospel. And who cares if you don't get to do it all now? Like, who cares if you don't get to Europe? My wife and I would really like to go to Europe. We, we might pull it off. I don't know. But we do say to each other, so what if we don't? Wonder, we're going to do Europe. And it's going to be cheaper and safer than ever before. We get, I think, many foretastes of eternity in this world. Great singing is a foretaste. Times when God seems powerfully present is a foretaste. Every pure, holy pleasure and delight that you have had is a foretaste. Rewarding work and a deep sense of satisfaction at your, what you've done as a foretaste. Rich fellowship with each other is a foretaste. But these foretastes will seem like mere droplets compared with the flood of God's glory and grace that will break on us when Jesus That day will be one big step for humanity and one giant leap for the glory of God. And so I think there's only one more thing I can say, and that is, I hope to see you there. Let's pray.